Hello there, I'm Pat O'Mahony, and welcome to the inaugural Media Mad Off Message podcast, an offshoot of the equally media curious Off Message blog over at patomahony.ie. There, since the summer of 2014, I've been writing regularly about changes and trends, mainly in the worlds of radio, television, journalism and online, while also telling the odd personal tale of success and indeed failure from over the years in this bizarre business we call media. Now, because every other Tom, Dick and Harriet is making a podcast, I've decided to enthusiastically jump aboard this moving bandwagon and start my own. I haven't given up on the blog and intend to alternate between it and this newfangled online audio yoke. Let's see how that works out. So, over the coming episodes, I plan on chatting with a whole variety of folk who work in different areas of the media to find out how they got to where they are now and to get their take on various aspects of their industry and the increasingly fast-paced changes throughout the business. And who better to kick off this very first off-message podcast than with a man who inadvertently helped boost my own career when I filled in for him on the radio throughout the 90s, but with whom I've only actually ever worked once. He is, along with Larry Gogan, the longest-running voice on 2FM, where he now does his own Saturday and Sunday morning chat show after decades of playing obscure tunes at various hours of the late evening and night. He is, of course, Mr. Dave Fanning. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Peter Piper popping peas. It's just as well you learned to count when you were at school. Indeed, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, listen, thanks for doing this. Cool. Uh, do you listen to many podcasts, by the way? No, I should, but I don't. I listen to the radio. I listen to talk radio quite a bit. I don't listen to much music radio, and I play basically music all day long at home, mostly new stuff. And uh, I do stream it, or I do Apple it, or I do whatever mm. it in the kitchen. You know, which is where I do a lot of work. And uh, do you do what I do? Is I listen to talk radio, especially in the morning. But I've music going as well. All oh, right. Yeah. Well, see, that's that's like a new generation thing, like the sixteen things, like a Bloomberg thing. I'm not that younger than you, Dave. No, I but am younger television than you is made for. No, but that's what I mean. Like, I mean, eighteen-year-olds, like they need four things going on. Mm. They need scores on the right. They need something else going on the bottom. They need somebody talking to you here, and they're talking to all their friends at the same time. And you think they're not concentrating on what's on the telly? They are. Do you remember when, with mobile phones, when it was considered rude uh, sometimes to you know to take a call or to send a text, whatever? And now I see people in conversation. And they have their phone in front of them, and both of them are just dropping oh, yeah. in and out of it, yeah, and it's, yeah. it's the new norm. I remember Gay Burns, I saw a complete prannet standing on the side of the street, I saw one, and he was standing there, he was talking into one of these mobile phones, it was ridiculous, he just looked so stupid. And now, if I see somebody walking down the street who isn't talking on the phone, I go, that's weird. And also, that thing where so you, someone walking down the street, you think, God, they're talking to themselves. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of that going and on. And now yeah. you assume yeah. they're on, a, on oh, yeah, an earpiece yeah. phone. So those who are talking to themselves can now get away with <laughs> exactly. talking to themselves. They can be a little strange <laughs> and get away with it. Listen, when did you catch, for the very first time, the radio bug, the media bug? Uh, Do you remember? Was there, was there an incident? Was there a period? 
Was there some story? Um, well, I'm the youngest of six. Okay. That's the only answer you need. So therefore I got everything from the older people from a much earlier age than a lot of other people might have. There was a thing where um, we would listen to Luxembourg or we would listen mm-hmm. to whatever. You might get the little snippets on RTE. But then I remember... Uh, going into Mrs Maloney's house next door and she had some station on I had no idea I don't even know what it was but you could kind of get quite good music all day long and not exactly because it really wasn't like that then it's not like it is now for instance but I remember thinking that's very interesting I didn't really know that and I couldn't believe I didn't know it from having the five older brothers who I think are sister and four brothers who should have known that and um so that was kind of it, really. Just listen to radio. It was the Luxembourg was the thing. But Jack that, Jackson on a Sunday night. But that's night. the music. When yeah. did you get the bug that you wanted to be the one playing no. the music and presenting? Well, it's, I, I remember J1 visa time, mid-70s. Um, like, OK, I'm going to go over to America. I might as well try it. And I got, had Tumbleweed Connection, the album. And I looked up the studio and I wrote to the studio. And I said, look, blah, 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 student, blah, blah, blah. I'd make the tea. I'd love to work in this studio in LA. Tumbleweed Connection? Uh, Elton John. Elton John, all right. And... Uh, <laughs> like I didn't get a reply <laughs> so I did go did a J1 visa and I ended up working on a fairground near Boston but anyway the point is that um, even at that time I used to think when I was working on that fairground like I would just love to do that not that I thought I'd ever be able to do it and I remember it was more rarefied in those days I remember like it's all gone kind of very strange just remember what it is now what it is now is that any Tom, Dick and Harry can go on the radio and be as good as anybody used to be. And that's exactly what's happening. They are as good as what anybody used to be. When Gay Byrne gave up the whole thing, the myth exploded. Like, radio isn't really that difficult. Mm. But there was a time when I was really, oh my God, they're on the radio, great. Just remember the King's Speech, the movie. If you see the King's Speech, the first five minutes of that is very telling and very funny, where the guy is dressed up to the nines and he's sitting in front of a microphone and he's kind of getting his little sort of um, cravat together and he's got a glass of water and... And all he says, this is the BBC. That's just it. That's it's fantastic, you know. And that's the way it used to be. And there was, wouldn't be a regional accent on, but, the, you know, your man was coming on who stuttered and all the rest of it. But he was a, you know, a posh guy. Mm. So it was all, that's the way it was. So then when I was um, around the mid-70s thinking I'd love to be able to do something like this, there wasn't much what I would call looseness on the radio. There was nothing going on. Mm. It was pretty, it was still pretty. Like Larry would be selling something in a great way. Captain A, cigarette, yeah. all that kind of yeah. thing. And it wasn't exactly kind of who gives a damn radio, you know, like it is now, which is, you know, but what made you think? Time. What made you think you'd because like I knew to do I, it, you could, I knew the music backwards. I knew okay. I knew more about music than anybody else, okay. and I really did. I really felt I did. It was okay. just part of what I was, who I was, and how I was. It was just every single thing. The NME, the New Musical Express, um, was on order in our local shop by my brother in 1959, around the time that Cliff, wow. like the headlines would be, is is Cliff the new Elvis kind of stuff? You know, mm. this was pre-Beatles that he was getting. Now he was much older than me, ten years older, whatever. But um, then the Beatles came along and all the rest. And also at the 70s, at the 60s, my brother bought the enemy. I took it over in the early 70s and kept it going in that shop till 2001. So that's 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s and noughties. That's a record. uh, Six Mm. decades. There'd be nobody in England would have done that even. And like I remember, I went, I interviewed Paul McCartney there some time back and I had the... uh, my brother threw out all the enemies of the 60s. You know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but like yeah. then, you, you know, you, on page three was the charts. The charts were such an important thing. Right. And the charts then became like, you know, the, the top 30 selling singles. Then it was top 30 selling albums. And then the smaller one was the singles. And then top 30 selling albums in America. And all this, and top 30 selling albums from five years ago, etc. But in those days, when the Beatles started, it was like, you know, top 
30 selling singles and on the right hand side was best selling sheet music in Britain sheet music but people would wow. buy the, like for instance like number 4 in the charts was, was Bachelor Boy by, by Cliff Richard and number 1 in the in the piano charts of the piano forte in the that noise you're hearing by the way folks is me playing the piano playing yeah. the piano banging the table I know like but a, like a studio it's really funny it was that. so people would buy these tunes that were on the radio at the time to play on the piano it's fantastic yeah, and in fact when I showed it to Paul McCarthy to sign it he said can I have this I said no I just want you to sign it so I have it at home signed now like, oh, yeah, oh sorry the, yeah yes it, it is actually framed because it was the first Beatles nowhere to number 17 the first song the Beatles ever got into the charts so I, that's the one I got okay. signed right. November 62 or whatever it was so um, how did you get into pirate radio um, because you started in pirate long before you started on radio to yeah, come at you in stereo well I started in pirate before more or less anybody else as well which was kind of lucky on my part it was really lucky there was a magazine called Hot Press as people know before Hot Press was a magazine called Scene and Scene magazine was an Irish rock magazine that I bought all the time and like I was coming out of H-Dip College having to teach and I was going what am I going to do and at least four of my friends said see the ad in the back of the paper editor wanted for Scene magazine I said yeah well I couldn't do that but I could certainly maybe contribute write a few articles or something so I went to do it and two people went for the job it seems and we both got it as such and I always remember the editor's name because he was the opposite name of the guy who did film 90 whatever his name was Barry Norman <laughs> sorry Norman Barry Norman Barry yeah. Norman, Norman <laughs> Barry yeah and like he had no idea about the thing. It was just like, and like all, everybody had suddenly left to form a new thing called Hot Press. So this scene, the brand was still kind of alive. So I said, ah, yeah, whatever, you know, I'll give it a bash. So suddenly it was the two of us and I was thrown into the deep end of knowing nothing. Like I didn't know anything about setting or how to publish a damn thing. But I could write a little bit maybe, but not that much and not particularly that well because I pained over it for a lot of the time. So I remember when I was didn't give a writing hoot. for Hot Press, people like Bill Graham and George Byrne would just throw it out there oh, and brilliant God, I couldn't do that and I would scream. I'd read Bill Graham stuff and oh. I'd be frightened with envy and joy well I would with envy and joy but there was one thing about Bill much as I loved Bill there was an element sometimes when he wrote five pages four of them were why I failed my PhD <laughs> like just tell us about the band there now Bill because he, he, he could spew it out in yeah, a kind yeah, of a yeah, yeah. Ralph Gleason yeah, yeah. kind of way or whatever yeah, yeah. Things, yeah. so you got into you got into journalism before you got into pirate radio no we were doing the magazine and this guy called in one day and said you know, Scene Magazine, and he probably still thought the Scene Magazine was the magazine, whereas mm. Hot Press was very quickly, within two episodes, or two editions. That was about 1978, wasn't it? No, this was 77. The okay. first you, uh, the first Hot Press was, uh, which I was at the gig, actually, was Rory Gallagher and McCroom. McCroom yeah. Yeah. Was so, that 77? Yeah, so we okay. brought out, um, we had already brought out a couple of magazines by then, I think. No, no, I don't know, one or two, I don't know. It was, it was only a monthly, anyway. And then I went A4 size and Glossy, which was quite good in one way, but it was still a scam. Like some... Fashion House would send in four free pages. Great, we'll print them all, you know. We didn't even say advertisement feature. Another four pages. And, uh, but anyway, it was, just, it, was a kind of, it was a real learning curve and that I just didn't have a clue. And like, I remember one guy called at the door one day. I was the postman. An album here for uh, Scene magazine. It doesn't say it's for anybody. I said, oh, yeah, I'll take it. Like a free album by Joan Armour Trading. Fantastic. I'll take that. This is a great job. So uh, that was it. So anyway, we did that. And the man, this guy comes in and says... Um, you know, I have a radio station and I'd like to know, what's the radio station called? It's called Radio Dublin. I said, never heard of it. I said, yeah, well, we, we, we broadcast on a Saturday night from 9 till 12. DJ Sylvie, 9 till 12. Okay, fair enough. And uh, we're thinking of going on a Wednesday night as well, but we don't know. Anyway, would you write an article about it? And uh, I realised this, you know, this is something I might be interested in myself. But the point is, he said, we're going to go Wednesday nights. So he went Wednesday night, and in doing Wednesday night from 9 to 12 also, he said, we'll do a programme, maybe that'll go on till 1 o'clock in the morning, and you can do that if you want to. In other words, I, I, I don't pay for my full-page ad, and we'll give you a free programme to plug your magazine, which is what it was all about. So I went up to Inchicore to do that, 
that was the captain. I didn't even know what the word paedophile was, but later on he became quite famous for that. I was going to ask you if you yeah, had any not any, a thing. Any I wasn't, I, I, like, I mean, I remember I went up to the house for about a year every Wednesday night, and like, for somebody from Cosseted South Dublin University College thingy Bob, it was like, what am I doing going up here with a bunch mm-hmm. of abs under my arm, trying to find the damn place? in a terraced house in Inchicore and going in and it's a house just full of transmitters and wires and miserable in so many ways. And I a think little, I was in there once. Yeah, and a little microphone sticking out of a suitcase, mm. literally. And the first song I ever played was Wishing Well by Free and I was scared out of my mind to do this. But you know, nobody was listening, so nobody knew about it. So then about four months later, some other guys started to come in. They started broadcasting a bit more and by the end of the year, those four guys who came, uh, those guys who came in, and said, "Look, we should have our own station and do it properly." Uh, so then they went for their own station in Henry Street, and I think, no, wait a minute, just before that, what happened was we were raided. Uh-huh. Once we were raided, we were famous. Like it was literally almost a paparazzi thing of walking in because the Evening Press and the Evening Herald got behind us. David versus Goliath, the little kids versus RTE. Because you were illegal. Oh, those pirate radio stations were one hundred percent illegal. Oh God, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. But then the things that happened were mad in the next two years. We then moved to Stephen's Green, which I didn't like as much as uh, the, the place off Henry Street, which I thought was great. But I mean, I remember one night the guy who owned it called Darren collected us and said, "Come on back for a cup of tea." Oh, yeah, okay, two in the morning because I'd be finished at two in the morning. It was brilliant fun. And uh, I remember, like, he said, that's funny. Did you put on the the, the, the late-night kind of, um, you know, tape that should be going on? I said, yeah. So, can't get it here on the radio. I don't know what's going on. Next day in the paper, you know, fire burns down the whole radio station and that. Four days later, we were back in Stephen's Green. And you know something? Every piece of equipment that I had left there was suddenly in Stephen's Green. So I have no idea. I mean, like, I sort of had nothing to do with an awful lot of the day-to-day running of anything. I was just the music. You did the gig. And I just got, I got in there late. And I got in there. I didn't know what was happening in the daytime. And they were suddenly getting very big. And suddenly people were sponsoring things. And it was a... Was it a licensed print money? I've no idea. I didn't get involved. So you were on air when Radio 2, as it was back then in 79, so they would have advertised late 78, early 79? For people to be... For people, yeah. No, I don't know. Oh, no, it was was all done very rushed. They were going to come in with something they supposedly said of a popular station by about 85. They rushed it forward in the space of three months. So it was all done in 79. So did they come to you? Did you go to them? What happened? Um, what happened was uh, Scene Magazine went after about 15 months. We did about 12 editions, and I'm quite proud of all that, actually. We actually got them out. And uh, then we, um, I went to work. I did some stuff for Hot Press, and I did some stuff for In Dublin Magazine. And I was specifically doing In Dublin and In the Office in town. And in Dublin was important then. Mm. People actually paid for it. They didn't get it free. And uh, I was in there, and I met Ian Wilson. And uh, they, they took on producers first in 2FM. So there was Robbie. Ian had been in Ents officer out in, in Trinity College. In Trinity yeah, College. he was a big, he was a big, a big noise in town. Yeah. And why was he suddenly qualified to be a producer of pop music? No idea. Sta- uh, pop well, music he had put on major gigs in Trinity. Okay. You know, like and all that kind of thing. He would know how to organise things and loved his music. Okay. And like, who yeah, else? Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. you might as well get the people who are out there now doing <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. And if he was out there now doing it and got that gig, I was out there then doing it because I was making a bit of a name for myself on the mm-hmm. late night radio. And in those days, people really did listen to radio after midnight for two main reasons. Number one, the traffic was never that bad in the morning. So like, you know, people were actually going to bed at one and two o'clock. They weren't going to bed at 11 o'clock, which you have to do now. And number two, there was no other distractions. There was nothing. There was, there was hardly even late night TV, let alone anything you could use with your no hands. Internet, yeah. No anything at all. Mm. So whether you even liked us or not, we were on. And like, I remember the NME had its poll, which is the weirdest thing of like best DJ kind of thing or whatever. And I got in at number seven. 
I don't know how. I know Irish people obviously bought the NME, and I was there. John Peel number one. There's me number seven. Going, what this? When, when are we talking about? I think about seventy nine by that stage. Well, seventy nine was when you started. Yeah, right? early seventy nine. Yeah, right. So it's just bizarre because you, you could hear me across the water with with Radio Dublin. It was bizarre. Also, it was when you were on the Pirate that you were on the NME. It was while I was moving from Pirate right. to to FM. Yeah, okay. it was just bizarre. I mean, like the amount of times that you would not think that people could ever hear who you were. I remember um, Marky Smith from the Fall came in. He said, oh, "So you're the guy who gives us all that." money because like you, you had to fill out um, the the returns and you had you know, the prs and all yeah, this kind yeah. of thing you know? or i remember like your man from super furry animals from wales he says i listen every night and i said uh really no you don't yes i do he says no you don't. Said, i'll prove it done stores better value piece them all <laughs> fair enough okay so um yeah but like that was it so we were on the 2fm started then and then yeah i just i was just asked were by, you right place was i right asked time? yeah one Fecking 100%. That's mm. all it is. And that's all so much of it is. Mm. You look at you 2 getting the deal with Premier Talent in the States at the exact right time and Springsteen was coming up at the same uh, Frank Barcelona or whatever. So much. I don't care how talented anybody is. So much of it. People who think talent will out are fooling themselves. I mean, some of the greatest albums I've ever heard sold five copies. Some of the very worst sold 10 million because mm. it's the right push, right time, right place or yeah, yeah. you look well or whatever. So, I mean, it's totally fluke. Totally luck. And the only thing I had going for me wasn't that I was good on the radio or anything. I really knew my music. That's all. Would you get a gig now if you were starting out? Uh, well, the funny thing is, I'd say no, definitely not. But another thing is that I see nighttime radio lately has reversed back to. I think it's more. I'd like to think it's more that because rock isn't exactly doing that well these days. I'd like to think it's more because of the fact that, you know, rock is kind of big or good, which it isn't. It's not, though. The truth of the matter is, I don't think nighttime is really an issue with anybody who owns a radio station. And frankly, if I owned one, I would look at nighttime on the first week of January and get that right. That's seven to seven, by the way. And then the other 12 hours of the day, I do for literally 51 weeks of the year, because that's where it all happens. It doesn't happen at night. So you, you, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. is your peak in radio. That's the only thing. And after that, it's irrelevant. It just yeah. really is. So every second station now has a kind of a rock program on. Mm, it sort of suddenly yeah. crept back in. But I mean, the audience figures are frightening. Because even like the audience for rock are very tech savvy or not so much tech savvy they're now savvy because they're that age mm. and they can do other things and have other things and have other distractions and there are 5,000 television stations and they can download movies for free and there's the internet and there's every other damn thing as well so like nighttime is kind of but if they're gone. listening that means they've made a commitment to listen because there are so many other distractions yeah, so oh, I would loyal. say so. Yeah, I'd say so, yeah, but I mean, like, you know... There like, may not be many of them. Yeah, like 100 people being loyal is not the same as four people being loyal in terms of getting a, an impact, you know? <laughs> and that's kind of what it's got to, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you're still in 2FM, as it is now. Yep. Um, you're on the weekends. Yep. And you're not doing a music programme. No. Is that a good thing? Do you feel... Is there's 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 uh, a, a, there's a feeling abroad that all the old fogies and Two FM have been thrown onto the weekend uh, because they can't thrown onto the scrap heap. <laughs> you're lucky to be at the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> the lucky ones. I mean, uh, what's your take on that? Well, there's twofold about that. Number one, I made a huge decision from my point of view, not that anybody really cares. By about ninety nine, two thousand, that okay, I've now got twenty years of this and more. And not that the game is up, but I really want to do something else. If you don't change, you know what I mean? If you mm. don't kind of reinvent, like, I mean, 
Ten years before that, you two went all dancey with Octong Baby, and look how well that did for them. It kept them alive for, like, I mean, who would ever have thought that they'd be the biggest band in the nineties, having been the biggest band the last five years of the eighties, and they still live-wise are the biggest band around. So mm-hmm. it's bizarre. You have to change and go with whatever. And I had done Jerry Ryan's program many times. It filled in for Jerry, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I was like, by the second week or so, you're kind of rocking. It's going really well. And the minute Jerry came back, you go, oh, my God, and now I see how bad I am. You know? <laughs> but anyway, it doesn't matter. I didn't care about that because it's, it's, it's a different kind of thing. But I realized I have to go talk and I have to go or something else because I can do it and I'd rather do it. And I've done music. And at the time, I was doing two music programs on TV. I was even doing a late-night, Sunday-night music program anyway, which I just threw in for free kind of thing to do. But the one I wanted to do was the more daytime of talk. And I said, I'll do it 2FM-wise and see what happens. So I did it at tea time for about an hour or two for about five years. And then I went to Radio 1, which is exactly what I wanted to do. So I haven't done a music program since 2001. Mm. A proper music Where program. Where is John Peel? kept the same gig until he died yeah but he BBC was doing radio talk radio Saturday morning wasn't he on some he was he was thing. on Radio 4 Radio 4 right. yeah he had yeah, a talk show yeah. but he kept the music thing, yeah I he? wouldn't care that I wouldn't keep the music thing because they wouldn't like they wouldn't first of all I wonder would they have taken me to do talk mm. and they did they allowed me to do that and also it was easier in those days and those days when I'm talking about the start of this century and then when I went to Radio 1, it's exactly what I wanted to do. So what did Tober- you do on Radio 1? When well, Toberty was 9 to 10 hmm. in the morning. And like, we kind of bookended the day. I was 7 to 8 doing the same kind of thing and maybe the same kind of items yes. for five years, 2006, yeah. 2010. Yeah, just and when then, I came back from London in 2009. Unfortunately right, the then, um, I, I, you know, it's the powers that be decide on every single thing. Mm. People in the suits, people in the, you know, who don't necessarily know what they're doing half the time. And I was put back on 2FM and I wasn't happy about that at all. And I'm there now still. I mean, I'm happy doing what I do because I'm allowed to talk and what it is that we have items or whatever. Mm. And I don't particularly want to do music, but um, I'd still rather be on Radio 1. Do I worry about it? Do I lose sleep? Not in the slightest. You you do fill in occasionally for like I worked with for it was very funny um, two years ago we finally got to work together because I had been filling oh, yeah. in I'd been well, filling in for you yeah. during the nineties on two but yeah. we, we were like ships passing in the night well Tuberty Ryan Tuberty was going to be given a big show on Radio One at nine That's in the morning right. and before he got that. In between John Murray John and Ryan Murray Tuberty, they gave us the Brendan program. Brendan O'Connor Seven, did four okay. weeks, oh, right. and yeah. then you did five weeks. Yeah, or six and I was, even, I think. Uh, yeah, five, six, whatever. I was in yeah. producing on that slot at the time, yeah. and they said, oh, Dave's coming in, and I went, yeah. oh, this is going to be interesting. Dave and I have never worked I thought together. that was good. I thought it was grateful. I thought it was good, good, it yeah, was yeah. good hour. Uh, but um, uh, that's it. I mean, 2FM, I'm was, was, sorry, it was just 2FM Saturday afternoon or Saturday lunch or whatever. Now it's Saturday morning. And, you know, I like. do I like it? Yeah, I love it. Um, would I rather be on Radio 1 or 2 FM? I'd rather be on Radio 1. But anyway, like, I mean, that, I've said Is that, that because closer. the nature of... Yeah, exactly. The, the, the nature of what I'm doing... cover is, and, yeah. and the, the listenership... But even the age stuff. I mean, like, if I'm doing stuff on anything, even, like, say, something like on U2 or something like that, I mean, that's more of a Radio 1 thing mm-hmm. now. And, like, you know, 2 FM went young and that's the way it was going to go and that's, you know, fine, you know. Mm. I understand. That's, that's a kind of a reinvention as well. But the problem is that if you're in charge, you can do that. In other words, like, somebody comes in and is in charge of 2 FM, they can do what they want. The problem is I don't have charge over what I do. Somebody else decides it. And that's the problem. So when I was put back to 2 FM at a time when I really didn't want to do that because I thought I was going to get something else, it wasn't great. But Jesus, you know, lots of things in life aren't great. It's not exactly, <laughs> it's not even a first world problem. Yeah, uh, it, but isn't that the thing about being a presenter? Is that oh. you are at the whim Complete of... behest and mercy of. And not only that, it's not even presenter. Remember something very important. It's contract. Mm. So it's a different thing. You know, like you don't have any say. Are you, you staff? Know? No. Or you're like me. People always say to me, yeah. don't you work no. for RTE? No. 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 Okay. No. So you don't have... 
you're not able to put your foot down. You're not able to say no, no, no. You you have to negotiate. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, so ideally, you'd like you take over what slot? Ideally. Oh, I don't know anything at all. I just okay. I just would like to be on the station that I was going towards in the early part of the what station. What about outside of RTE? I haven't really thought about it much, and I got an offer of something once many years ago with Jerry and myself as a kind of a package. I don't know what it was, and I can't remember it. It's just all nonsense anyway. Um, but, uh, uh, I, no, I mean, I'm very happy. No, mm-hmm. I like doing it, you know. I love it, actually. You know, Like, I mean, I remember the Queen met Jerry Wogan. And how long have you worked at the BBC? And, Mom, I've never worked at the BBC. And I'm the same. Mm. Like, never for one second has it been work. Not one second. And all uh, you do is do the... No, all you do is do the best you can or whatever, and then you feel great when you look at it or see it or hear or something and think, yeah, that wasn't too bad. And even if it's not good, say, I'll get it better next time. Would you like to do more television? Yeah, I don't, like, I'm not looking very hard, mm. you know. I haven't done anything really much in the last few years, and I did. I mean, I what a- would be interesting would be, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, you did a lot of, I remember you did the Channel 4 Rocksteady yeah. thing as well. You did a lot of music television. Yeah. Um, you want to do more talk radio. Why haven't you pitched ideas where you were doing stuff that's to television you know, that's not, I'm not music? The world, the world's number one pitcher, to be honest. <laughs> You're I've not never, a great hustler. No, I've never okay. pitched. I've never hustled. I've never really done anything. And it's like if it happens, it happens. I have my own TV series of some sort from '85 to about 2011. Every year without a break. Sometimes four programs. Like I did 400 movie shows, for instance, mm. or I did. Uh, 282 TVs, two hours live on a Sunday morning of playing music, mm. or other things. Like in the last 10 years, it was rock. There was all sorts of the last broadcast and all these things, which I 100% kind of just made, and, you know, for in a kind of a way that was like for 20p, you know. Oh, I know. And, uh, but I haven't done much in the last five or six years. I'm, I'm, like, I'm but would you be, hosting. are there any documentary ideas you'd like to do? Is there anything that. Uh, if somebody else comes up with one and asks me, do they want to do it? Yeah, okay. Okay, but I'm there's not, nothing that you have a burning no, ambition to do. No, okay. not really. Uh, just speaking of TV, and it was only when you said it there, you listed off programmes. Did you do the Saturday, did you take over from Ian on, Ian Dempsey on a pop music television thing once and I looked at you and I thought man there's a fish out of water I mean you were playing Boyzone oh that that's what 2 was, TV oh no I love that in, in 1995 I was asked to do this thing I was going to do another rock show on TV I said yeah okay we'll do this let's take a look we all sat down then they said look you know the one on Sunday morning called uh, The Beatbox Beatbox well we're changing that around so I said, I'd rather do that don't be ridiculous that's kind of boy bands and that's pop music I know but it'd be Great fun, you know, like kind of almost like that every second thing I introduce I don't like. So as it turned out, I loved it. I mean, it was li- it was just like, like they'd lay out all this kind of food to kind of, you know, at the start of the programme to dress the set kind of thing. I'd eaten the whole thing by the end and I didn't, I didn't care what happened. I and just, did you not care about having done a serious music programme for no, all that's, years, that's like that's credibility? No, that's Credibility. <laughs> Give me a break, you know. Didn't even didn't worry you. Did you get did quite you get, the opposite? When I you went the to gigs, idea. did people slag you? Like, yeah, kind of. Well, I mean, the biggest slag I ever got was when we were live talking. I was talking to the chorus, and they, we had an exclusive of a Boys Own video. And I started talking, saying they're shite and all this kind of thing, and how crap they are, and that you're just a boy band, and blah, 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 blah. And there was war over it. In fact, Ireland's most famous sports commentator, Michal O'Hare, the voice of Sunday afternoons, GAA and everything else, he died, and it should have been the front page thing. It was a tiny little thing on every page. The biggest thing was that Fanning disses Boy's Own. You know, Boy's Own shocker from Fanning. Because your man had left the microphone on. The microphone's had nothing to do with me. It's three, three, three rooms down, you know. 
And uh, so like you I, weren't supposed to have been heard at that stage. Oh my god! Like I mean, like my wife heard it, was ringing up, get him off, get him off, because the video was playing, you know, and she heard me, and like I was just saying, like because the the, the chorus were getting quite big at the time, and the chorus had been away out of the country, right? And they didn't know the boys' own were getting that big, and so they were asking me some questions about it while the video <sighs> while was the playing. Video was playing. It's whatever I don't know what the song oh, okay. was. It's the video where they the sepia tone, brilliant brown sort of orange one, where they're out in the desert or in an oh, airplane. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. I don't know. And uh, I was. Just them like crazy and of course Louis loved it he got on and said we're going to sue you and all this knowing that and then that night I was, I was going oh god I better stay out of the way there's a programme on one of the stations like Adrian Kennedy or something goes was Fanning right Disgust. <laughs> oh, Our boys' own crap. Yeah. That's terrific. It was, like, Ronan was brilliant because he came on to uh, the Pat Kenny show. Every single programme ran me that morning. And Ronan got on and said, We thought Dave was our friend. <laughs> it was like, Oh, shut up. It was hilarious. Um, Good fun. Well, th- well, there's an interesting thing. We thought Dave was our friend. Yeah. Um, you two would be your friend. Uh, the, 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 the friends, you know, from back way back in the day. Yeah. Um, is music radio any more than PR for bands? I mean, can you interview them <clears throat> if you had you two in? But like, hold on, what would, you, <laughs> would want? you ask them about their tax affairs or their free, you know, their take on Geldof handing back his uh, freedom of Dublin oh, geez, City? Absolutely, or sure. Geldof is like a red rag to a bull. Geldof loves all that kind of stuff. All you got to do is say, "Why did you hand it back?" And hang some, and off you go. And make yeah, but coffee. would you? Would you? Would you? There, there's one thing to ask him. I mean, especially mm. on music it? radio, would you, would, you, would, you, would you be the contrarian? Would I be the contrarian? I have been sometimes. I remember with Ice-T, I really said, this is like you're talking nonsense. And I started giving out to him and shouting at him and all the rest. But uh, no, not particularly. Mm. You know, I'm not really like, I mean, the whole tax thing and that. I did a thing, a documentary on Bono on television there once. And I talked about that um, other thing and that and tried to make sense of going to the Netherlands or whatever. But like after a while, it's just, you know, mm. I'd rather talk to you about track four side too. <laughs> you know, tell me what that's about, you know. I'm there for the music, really, you know. Who do you, who have you over the years uh, in in the media, in broadcasting, who have you admired? Do you know, funny thing, one of the best ones of all, and I really think, is Gay Byrne. I actually really do. I think Gay Byrne, I know that Gay Byrne would be seen to be patronising, people would say, or whatever, or whatever, but I think he really had a bit of a pulse of the nation at a certain time. Now, obviously he did. He had the whole thing in his charge. He had the Late Late Show. Mm-hmm. There was nobody else doing anything else that could have come near it because there was no other distractions. People watched the programme. Mm-hmm. But I just love the way he never used autocue and was very kind of a... He was a vuncular. Like, I mean, he'd do his stuff with Sinead and Sinead put his hand on her knee even and go, you're a priest now, Sinead, what happened? All this kind of stuff. I quite liked all that and the way he did it. And even like, you know, he, like I'll give you an example. There'd be music on the programme. He'd be the only one that would say something along the lines of, uh, well, there you go. <laughs> they tell me. I mean, like as in, look at me. I think that's the greatest lot of rubbish I've ever had in my life. But I, I don't pick the music. You know, blah, blah, blah. Good luck, lads. Great, you know. That's the modern, you know. I still see I, I, I love all that. Pop will eat itself. Pop will eat itself. Pop the ate the set. They yeah. ate the studio. They trashed the yeah. studio. That was Donald Scalz <laughs> doing. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. He, they came back to him and he, was, he wasn't he was a happy bunny. Yeah, but that's fine too. That's yeah, all, yeah. No, I, agree. Good, I agree. I agree. I agree. I do. I think, and like, I mean, what he was doing in the morning on the radio, he always had it kind of well worked out. Not that well worked out is always the best way to go. Jerry Ryan had nothing worked out and he was just as good in his own way. Uh, like Jerry, everything was off the cuff and spontaneous mm. with Jerry. He never did a tap of homework, whereas Gay had it all kind of together. But I do, I do admire a Anyone lot of else? those people. Um, not particularly, no. I mean, they're all as good as the next or not as good as the next, you know. Anyone and 
it can be more a style thing than a, an actual piece. What it irks you about, uh, what has irked you in the past, what irks you now about broadcasters? What, do you, what's your, what are your pet hates? Oh, God, I don't know. Um, I'm not against people who have opinions uh, that maybe go against the grain, and a lot of people are, because they'd rather just, for instance, on news programmes, there are some who look as though they're writing an opinion piece. In other words, they're doing page nine of a newspaper rather than page one. And I quite like the page nine approach, if you know what I mean. You know, mm. just telling it like it is the, with, the, with all their own prejudices. I quite like that. And that's the way we are these days. And a lot of the people who do that are very well informed and they're not, they're not kind of just throwing it off the top of their head without knowing what they're talking about. They do. And I quite like all that. But um, I think there's a lot of, uh, of the kind of more whatever programmes that focus too much on majorly bad things in our society of people who, you know, no legs or depression or it's just relentless after mm. a while. I'm not saying that, you know, a bit of good news wouldn't go astray. But, um, but I mean, like, you know, for instance, like uh, the programmes on the radio, which I'm not going to get into here now, but programmes on the radio, would I give out about? There isn't one programme that I haven't given out about at some stage and some programmes I give out about nearly every day. But uh, maybe I listen a bit too much now. And in fact, I've been listening to the car a lot to radio in the last five years. I'm going back now to listen to it. If I could learn how to put the feckin' music in properly, because there's no <laughs> Thing. I'd much rather Blue, go back to Bluetooth the it via your phone. Yeah, you see, all that stuff is all a bit above my head. You know, I'm not very good at it, but I will. Whereas at home, I listen to music all it the time. It is actually very easy. I had to do it on a uh, hard car recently. Uh, listen, for the first five time minutes, ever. get a four-year-old to tell yeah, you yeah. how to do it. I know. No, no, absolutely. No, no. Um, speaking of Bluetooth and technology... Um, I'm nowhere. Uh, what, what, how are you with, with social media, with the internet? Do you I'm consume not. stuff no. that way? No? How no. come? I'm not in any way at all. I've never been on Bebo, never been on Facebook, never been on... Um, Who runs the Fanning RTE Twitter account? That's I should, not you. I should know that. That's not you. That's a production team. <laughs> that's, that's probably that's Kate. Yeah. Or, it's probably Kate or Etna. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so, yeah. Um, I do have um, a, a Twitter roadie. My son, he comes to me every two weeks oh, okay. and goes, so-and-so saying this, so-and-so saying that. Do you want me to say anything? I say, yeah, say whatever you I don't really know. So now and again, I might give a proper answer. But the worst about giving a proper answer is if I do it once, the other 19 are going, yeah. why hasn't he done that? Yeah, yeah. So half you the time I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So I've never engaged. I really am out of the loop with all of that. Mm. In one way, I, I'd much rather if I did do it. I'm just too lazy. And as Bob Dylan said, don't criticise what you don't understand. I don't understand it, so I'm not going to mm-hmm. criticise it. And uh, I would uh, like to do it for two years just to be... I'd like to jump in there and do it. Yeah, well, that's, the exact that's what you have to do. I mean, I did the same. But I did a lot of freelancing work producing in RT, especially in radio over the past four or five years. Yeah. And I was amazed at how many people in there uh, would say to me, oh, no, don't use Twitter. Don't, don't use Really? Facebook. I thought they all did. I thought I was the only and one. And I would look at them and go, your staff, aren't you? And they go, yeah. Oh, right. Right, so they, they don't, don't have, have to. to. Yeah, right, exactly. Because yeah. uh, as a freelancer, <laughs> it's a great yeah. tool. Yeah. I mean, it's the Wild West out there. Yeah, and know, you put yeah. your head above the parapet and yeah. you can get eaten alive, especially if you're female. Um, I've seen it. But I know how to do music at home, for instance, like that. And even now, I don't know. Am I using iTunes or is it Apple or whatever? I just know how to do a thing like a monkey. And I, I can get everything. I don't know. I'm, I'm very bad with a lot of stuff to do. Do you do still listen technology. to vinyl? Uh, I have vinyl and I do listen to vinyl. Yeah. Yeah. Every time I get Why do you listen to vinyl? I don't know, because it's in a room that sometimes I sit in and there's the vinyl in there. Right. That's the only reason, really. You pull out an album you haven't heard in no, a long, no, long time. No, a lot of them are new ones. You. Ah, yeah, okay. a lot of them you are still new get vinyl. I would get some vinyl, yeah. Now and again I'm going to be shopping the certain stuff and I go, oh, yeah, why not, you know? Mm. Whatever. Because you don't get vinyl sent to you or anything. What um, media do you consume? 
Well, you see, okay, first of all, I'm not great on architecture, I'm not great on theatre, I'm not great on a lot of things, <laughs> uh, I'm not great on, you know, uh, certain things, but I am absolutely obsessed with music and movies, and frankly, it's a bit dull, I've been like that since I was three years of age. Mm. That's what it's always been, and the way you can see movies now is just fantastic, yeah. and you'd think, well, that's too many, the uh, Melder Marcus scene, the Law of Diminishing Returns, no, give me more, pile me on. How many movies and also, do you watch a week? Well, I would watch 300 a year easily, which is like not exactly one a day, but nearly one a day. But like in between times also, series of box sets. The box set thing is great. And a lot of it I would watch myself on a computer right in front of me. And you think, ah, it's not the same as cinema. Do you know something? This is a terrible admission to make. And I go to the cinema a lot. I get more sometimes from looking at my computer with headphones on. Because the picture can be so perfect and so yeah. clear and the detail and everything else than I do sometimes from a cinema which can have distractions or actually the screen can be even a little bit far away kind of thing. Mm. Do you go to press previews Absolutely. still? I don't go to press previews much at all, no. I go sometimes on Friday afternoon to a couple of movies because I might have to talk about them the next day or something like that. Mm. But I don't. I go to press previews. How many have I been to this year? Maybe 20, but I haven't been to 200. They're the ones that are on in the morning. They're on the mornings. For people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons is... A lot of them were up at the lighthouse or something. A lighthouse I love. I've been there yeah, yeah. ten times this year. But like There's getting the there, it's, it's just yeah, yeah. like it's an hour and a half to get there. It's twenty quid to park your damn car <laughs> if you have a car, and it's or yeah, it's yeah. whatever. And it's like after a while, it's just there, like you get home by two o'clock and you go, "Wow, there's the day gone." I remember um, back in the day when uh, Graham Linehan used to do most of the movie reviews at Hot Press. I do the occasional one, but I would go to the movie previews in the morning, mm. and I always found it weird coming out of a cinema. Oh, yeah. And yeah. It was no, nice. I don't, I don't find that weird in that I've been doing it now since 1980. Yeah. And I was doing it every week, but I didn't even have to. And then yeah, I was yeah. doing it for the movie show in the 90s and all that, which I did four times a week. But um, no, I don't find that weird at all, really. But I just like, I can't see enough movies. And it's terrible. You'd think that you would get that, as I call it, the law of diminishing returns. Can you listen to enough mus- music? No. No, you just keep listening to music. It's great, you know. But a combination of old and new, it's fantastic. Mm. But like that's enough for me, you know, in some ways. So like you know, I, I haven't expanded to certain things. Like what about so- the news? Do you watch the? Are, are you are you a news junkie? To no, any degree? I'm not a news junkie, but uh, I would watch certain programs. That right. I don't really watch much television at all, except for sport, except for soccer. That's really it. That's what, that's what I watch, and our football, whatever. Um, but um, who do you watch? Who's your team? I don't have a team, funny enough. No, UCD would be the team that I would have followed, but I don't have a team... I mean, like my son follows Liverpool, so I'd like them to win sometimes. So, you know, they could really do with that. But anyway, no, I don't follow a team really at all. I don't follow GAA. I, I definitely follow the rugby big time, but not nearly as big as everybody I know. Mm. I'm in the Hapley place when it comes to that. I wouldn't worry if I missed a rugby match. Whereas I could be watching a football match on a Tuesday night and saying, don't forget a vital mid-table slash coming up next Friday between, you know, kind of uh, Luton Town and, 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 you know, I don't know, Brighton and Hove. Brilliant, I'll watch that. Well, that's the wrong leagues, but you know what I mean. Where do you get your news? Uh, do you The radio, mostly, and, the, and read. Do you read? Uh, no, you? I read newspapers a lot, and I read them all online. All online? Yeah. When was the last time you bought a newspaper? Two days ago in Kinsale. <laughs> But uh, I very seldom would because mm. I couldn't get the Wi-Fi working in the hotel. Okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I... Um, yeah. You used to read newspapers regularly when yeah. you were younger? Yeah. And when did that change? Oh, whenever the whole thing became the so 90s. easy to do on a computer, yeah. Late 90s, I can't early remember. 2000s. Oh, I'd say not not in the late 90s, yeah, easily. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I would read the newspapers. I'd read a lot. I'd read a lot of sort of articles and all that kind of thing. Mm. And, you know, the books I would read too would be, I'd read quite a lot of books, but mostly to do with the fact that I'm interviewing the guy next week or something. So non-fiction? Kind of Everything. Everything under the sun. doesn't matter what it is. But mostly non-fiction, yeah. yeah.
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Although, no, not necessarily. It's kind of, you know, subject matter opinionated books. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm talking about anything and everything, you know? But to read a novel. What do you mean by a novel now? Like, like do you pure mean Dickens? Fiction, just pure fiction, someone telling a story. Yeah, I would read a novel, pure fiction, someone telling a story. But it, a lot of it has to do with uh, who I might be interviewing next week or the week yeah. after or whatever. So it's work. The, the book comes in. I don't see it as work. Yeah. But it's related. that's related to work, yeah. Do you see your job as work? I mean, it's just corny. Like, people think the job that I have done and the job that I have had is kind of cool and it's a good one to do and it's sexy and that. You have no concept of how cool and sexy it is. It's ten times better than you could ever possibly imagine. And the minute you say that, you get paid less. <laughs> but uh, the thing is that it's just like, it's brought me all over the world. I've met every rock star and every movie star you could possibly imagine, particularly rock stars, and hung out with them and all that kind of thing. And it's been nice to do that. Mm. People say, don't meet your stars, do. Or your, your people you think are great. Too. And like they brought me everywhere. Like I was gone, during the movie show twelve years. I was in LA five times a year. I was in New York eight times a year, at least once a month. And every single week, for I'd say five hundred and twenty weeks. That's ten years. I had to go to London. Now, not that London was great. I didn't really like doing that much. Too much. I was suffering from overhead bin syndrome after a while. But uh, you know, you're circling over Heathrow for hours. You mm, know, and you get mm. in, you do your thing. And the movie ones are a bit of a joke because you were only there for a few minutes. But it was a bit of a laugh. Mm. And certain ones, like the LA ones, were always great because my best friend lives over there, so I stayed a week. So it was great. Like, so and it brought me to Africa three or four times to do documentaries. Brought me to the weirdest parts of the world. Well, not really the weirdest parts of the world because I've never been to. Australia, I've never been to India, I've never been to Thailand, I've never been to New Zealand. Half these places I've never been to, like everybody else seems to have been. And also I've never really lived in London like you or just about everybody I know. I've never spent more than two weeks at one time in London. Which have is you ever bizarre. any ambitions no. to go? Well, I mean... Were you always busy here? You see, I, I moved to London in 98 because... I once I worked dried up, but I finished yeah. a few gigs and I'd not. not yeah, I know, I know. That's, the, that's thought, the way it is in the gig just, when you have I a contract thought, or I don't. Thought, if I don't go now, I'll never go. I, yeah, I'll, I'll get a no. gig if I stay, but I don't, you know. I had no wish to go to London. At the time in 1994, I did a thing. I was doing a thing in, in, uh, in Channel 4 and I, was, I did a series on TV called... Um, I wasn't Rocksteady. Was Rocksteady was the yeah, series. But yeah. then we did one called Live at the Dome. And that was live yeah. on a Friday night in Camden or wherever, Kilburn. And, uh, was that where they cut to you at one stage and you were smoking a cigarette well, on, the, on air? Yeah, and part of that. Yeah, part of that. That was with Dire Straits in, in Maltings, Snape the Maltings. Because we had a thing, a guy back in the studio and we were all around the country wherever That's we had right, to be. Yeah, and that time we were over in the kind of an over Ipswich direction and uh, it was live the whole thing was live everything was live and so yeah that's right well the floor manager was kind of deaf in one ear which is pretty stupid considering he's the one who's supposed to be giving me the instructions and it was just the funniest thing <laughs> just smoking this cigarette yeah, it was hilarious that was in the days I smoked a cigarette and uh, it was really funny and uh, it was great because we watched it that night we always had a big party that night wherever we were on the road and it was just people just watched, watched it 15 times and they laughed more the 14th and 15th than they had the yeah, first thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but anyway we were doing that and at one of the gigs in uh, Live at the Dome, uh, I had to do a thing with Lenny Kravitz. And we, we were being filmed up on this balcony. And Lenny Kravitz was going to be down the stage. And he had just come back from Paris, where he'd been on stage with Mick Jagger the night before. So he was being very rock star. And uh, it was all very cool. And that. But the person managing he was number one in America at the time, which was really quite big. And the person managing him or doing his thing was Richard Branson. And Branson, like the producer of the programme, was really freaking out. Branson said, he's doing it, we're doing it, Dave, you're doing it. 
yeah, okay, whatever. You know, like it's only going to be like you know, two questions, you know, and whatever. And he's going to make an excuse as to why Lenny mightn't be able to do the second number. This was all out because Lenny was wrecked. He was able to do the quiet number, but if it took the the rock and roll one, he might actually kind of collapse halfway through because he was really partying the night before. And it was just an honest thing saying, look, if it doesn't work, we'll cut to something else. But Richard Branson was going to say this, which made it look a bit better. So Branson was put down in front of me and said, I said, how are you? There you are, kind of thing, whatever. And there was like 15, 14, 13, 10, 9. And I said, how are you? Do you come over here every week? He says, yeah, come over every week. He says, and do you fly Virgin? I said, no. She says, no. Okay, I'm not doing this interview. Five, four, three. <laughs> and, going, well, oh. and he was just taking the piss. He was just having a laugh, you know. <laughs> and it was actually quite funny. And uh, I had to go blah, blah, blah. And then I had to go to... Um, it, no, wait a second. Yeah, that was that. He did that. And then at the same time, Lenny, oh, that was it. Lenny had finished his song. That was it. Sorry. And he said, look, he might be able to do the next one. And then I had to introduce the next band on stage, which was Robert Palmer. And like they were down below us underneath this thing. So I said to him, yeah, well, thank you very much, Richard. Good morning. So I think we're now Robert Palmer, blah, 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 blah. And here he is. The camera swoops down and gets to Robert Palmer. And your man goes, Jesus, that was very good. I mean, you got a lot out of me in like, 90 seconds kind of thing and you got that perfectly into Robert Palmer a fair play to you well done shook my hand that was it it was gone he started a radio station a year later he and, he ra- Virgin radio. and he rang me up and said would you come on the radio and do a programme I said I'm just going to sound very rude there Richard my boy but I'll do it on one condition that I don't have to do Monday to Friday I'm not giving up the bread and butter that I have here uh, in Ireland and I was doing movie show and everything at the time yeah, so yeah, it was I flat out and yeah, doing yeah. all that yeah. and then going around the world doing interviews with my own thing as well so uh, I said I'll do the weekend so he said okay what, you know. so Chris Evans was on from 10 till 2 with the big red mug get it because he was sponsored by Maxwell House and he's got a big red mug so he was on 10 to 2 and he was a big name from morning television at the yeah. time uh, Emperor Roscoe was 2 to 4 and I went 4 to 8 and then the next year I went 2 to 6 for 4 hours on a Saturday and uh, after two years, like just, I really needed not to be around. I had two kids at this stage, so I said, "Look, I don't need." This. Did you go to London to do those, or did you? Take I went them to London for the Dublin? first. If you take take that was two years for about eighteen months, I went to London, yeah. and in the last six months, I found a way. In fact, it's really funny. I found a way to cheat, which was I would uh, record a bit of it in RTE. I'd record it over there too when I was over there and record yeah. bits. And I would send it to... Sometimes when I did go to London, I made sure I got the last flight home. So the last hour we put on tape. But I used to send tapes. Then I started sending tapes. It probably wasn't a great idea. In the post? In the post. Uh, in, in the post over. And they were on mini-disc to a girl called Holly Ramos. I always remember that. Because then when this big, huge TGI Friday came on TV... Yeah. Um, Chris Evans, producer or whatever, a researcher, Holly Ram- <laughs> he, he had brought her from right. Virgin yeah, yeah. to go on yeah, the TV. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, two years was enough. I was doing five programmes here. It's funny you say that because now you can do radio programmes where all you have to do is oh, record the links. Absolutely. And it's fed into a, yeah, a programme and you don't have to be there and no. you don't have to press the buttons no. and you don't have to no. play records. Yeah. It's all... It's all yeah. Well, Virgin, Virgin is now still doing well, but it's got a different name. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, all those gigs that you have just casually dropped into conversation there, um, you've been at it for 70, now, what's that, 40? Well, it's 40, 40 years, 40 70, 77 yeah, players. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. there you go, 40 years. Happy and I'll tell you, it genuinely feels like about two years. What are, what are the highlights been? Meeting, I know it's a cliche. Me, meeting all the people and doing programmes that the next day people said were good or that I liked or was happy with. Any in particular, though? Any any standout or is it, has it just been one Any standout what? People I've met? Like, highlights. Or has highlights. it just been one long 40-year buzz? It's been one long 40-year buzz. I mean, it genuinely has. It's been very 
big things that we did. Um, just myself and Ian Wilson did a lot, and then Jim Lockhart after that. It was just a lot of fun doing a lot of different things because we were like. As I say, in the in the 80s, there weren't really any other great distractions. Mm. People hadn't got much choice but to listen to Dave Fanny, even if they didn't like it. Because I was on 8 to 10 then. Like, there was a time when I was 8 to 10, Jerry Ryan was 10 to 12, Mark Cagney was 12 to 2. And those six hours were kind of a, a yeah. golden time for a lot of people. Like, it's, we only had to be not bad because it doesn't matter if we were great or not because people kind of had no choice. They had, that's what you listened to. Like, the parents were in there maybe doing watching television and you were in there listening to the radio and there was nothing else to do nothing else to listen to. I found some cassettes recently I, I didn't think because back in the day you know RTN they don't record to FM no. for, for the most part certainly no. not the music programmes yeah um, they'd keep them for a while for legal reasons uh, on low quality tape I found some cassettes of, of me filling in for you which oh, right. I haven't listened to yet but well yeah, maybe you shouldn't <laughs> Yeah. Sure, um, I mean, like in those days, like I mean, like all you had to do was like it wasn't, it wasn't rocket science. All you had to do was get the gig. I I used to love. Um, I couldn't believe it when they asked me to do it. You know, in nineteen ninety, I they said you want to pay me for playing records on the radio. Well, yeah, there was a bit of that about. But you do have to get paid. Oh know, yeah, it is work. Yeah. And, and well, it's it is. Well. I, I, I've been listening to. Yes, it's work with inverted commas. But you still have to put in the hours. But you know, listening to the new music. Uh, I don't see it that way. I mean, like that's just part of that's just what I would do anyway. Well, I, yeah. listen, I it's would nice. be, yeah, yeah, I would be doing it anyway. But yeah. that's what you're being paid for. You're being yeah. paid for that expertise. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you're paid for just because somebody has to do the gig, and you, you're lucky that you're lucky that we picked you, kind of thing. <laughs> that's yeah. Really uh, I, I, you're a hundred percent agree with you on the look thing. Any of the kids going to follow in your footsteps? Um, they go to gigs all the time. They love music, um, but do they like it in the same ways? They they wouldn't see a career in it because there isn't really a career in it. I think. Speaking of you know young people following you into the business, uh, has it changed that much, or could you give advice to someone now? Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm loath to give advice ever, but my advice absolutely is get lucky. That's it. Because uh, it's changed beyond reason in one way, and yet well, everything does kind of remain the same. Music mm. is kind of just music, and it's out there. There's just so much different music. But um, there is no thing to get into, really, anymore. It's just not that way anymore, you know? I don't see that it is. Like, there's 46 official stations out there for 26 counties. So the whole thing is a joke. Mm. I mean, like, at least, I'd say, 10 of those, nobody's getting paid one penny. And that's because they think it's kind of sexy to work on radio. And frankly, it is. And they'd be right. But it doesn't do us any good. Do you know why? Because they're no worse than we are, and we want to get paid. <laughs> so, uh, like, everybody is good now on the radio. You just have to just do anything. It doesn't matter, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I don't know, I mean... Do you put demo tapes together? Should they write letters and emails and what? Or should they should they make tea? Should how do they start? Yeah, I do don't their know. Bedroom? I really don't know anymore. I mean, like you get certain bands who can sell out the three arena home based bands. You know, like two nights in a row, three mm. nights in a row, and you didn't think they even had a single out or a record out mm. or anything that people would know. I mean, the whole way that people hear music now, it's changed beyond reason. In that um, people don't even experience music like they used to. It's just not the same thing. Like going into town, buying an album, injecting the vinyl into your bloodstream because it was so important, knowing the serial number of the damn album, mm. you know, all that kind of... That's all gone. But very few of us did that. 
Yeah, there was yeah, a you coaching. and your mates oh, yeah. did it, and all oh, my mates school. did it. But we like, were out of all 100 people in school, only yeah. about three or four people yeah. did it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's what I did, and yeah. there's no doing that anymore. Oh, I Music don't know. is there Kids for a different reason now. There's it's like a fashion accessory to a lot of people. Yeah. It's like, like uh, uh, certainly going out at night, the gigs are huge. Because uh, people just want to go and see live music, yeah, you know. Yeah, but yeah. the music is, see, don't tell me that if you get music for free that it doesn't cheapen music. It does. And people get music for free now all the time. A full generation has grown up expecting to get music for free, getting music for free, and therefore music has definitely but been they're devalued. they're paying for the live experience. Back yeah. in the day, when I started out, um, yeah. you know, writing for Hot Press and doing some stuff for 2FM, etc., um, the record companies were the ones making the money and they subsidised the touring experience yeah. and that has flipped 180 degrees. But it's amazing how small the touring experience actually was. I mean, I was going to gigs in the early 70s like Genesis in the stadium, not Supporting even looking at... Lindisfarne. Yeah, and, and Rab Noakes. He Ooh. was he was on that bill oh, as well. And like, you know, there's your man on drums who became the biggest thing in the 1980s. I wasn't even looking at him because... Uh, Peter Gabriel had the, had the V had in the fox's hair. head as fox's well head. in fact that was the first time he put it on it freaked out the band did you ever read that I, I couldn't I re- believe yeah. this that Genesis didn't know he was going to do this and he was putting somewhere. this whole thing yeah. on with supper's ready and all that kind of thing and and he did that for the first time yeah. and by the way stadium. when he walked yeah first time was National Stadium 70, I couldn't believe it oh 71 I don't know but the point is uh, he walked past me and his cape hit my foot <laughs> I was famous for a good 10 minutes. But uh, yeah, it was um, like all those gigs I went to, every one of them, like Bloodwind Pig and, you know, Skid Row, whatever, and Fleetwood Mac and all that stuff. But um, Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac. There's, but the funny thing is that uh, Led Zeppelin played in the stadium. And like Led Zeppelin were actually the biggest band in the world at the time, rock band that is, from, you know, late 70s onwards. And even then, with only 2,400 seats, no, 2,200 seats in the stadium, the gig took about a week to sell out. I mean, think of it for a second. Wow. Like, fast forward 37 years later, when they finally come back to play a gig at, at the Three Arena in London, or wherever it's called, and 20,000 tickets, and, and there were 22 million applications for tickets. Right, they had a lottery. Planes on the ready coming from the States yeah, just yeah. to see this one gig. Yeah. And they say, oh, listen, they'll obviously tour, but obviously, but they didn't. It was the only gig they ever played. When uh, will you retire? Oh, what will you do when you're that, retired? That's never going to happen. That's that. that that's not going to happen. I mean, as far at least as long as I mean, the idea of having a reason to get up on a Monday morning. My God, you have to have that. You know, and yeah. get out into the world. Like I still have that Sunday night thing of Teresa Lowe and where in the world? Oh God, I'm depressed. Or the rear music can't stand yeah. it. Or the rear the Glenrose and all this. You know, and like it's just freaking out about school or something the next day. And then once you're in school at ten o'clock on a Monday morning, it's fine. What age are you in your head? Jeepers! I mean. Nobody is ever the age they are. I mean, most people. Know anyway. And like, in fact, I heard your man, uh, what's his name, Blind Boy from Rubber Bandits talk on the radio saying like, that's the fear of having to be an adult. You're looking at what adults do and you're 23 years of age and you realise I'm supposed to be an adult now. And you go, that's not, I go, no, sorry, what? Mm. You know, that's never going to happen. It's not going to be able to, you know. Yeah. And then, you, but the age, the, the, the years give you that anyway. And frankly, you know, I was allowed to get away with being 21 for the rest of my life in some ways and long may it continue. So I don't know what age. I mean, I would actually say about 50. Twenty-one is too old, <laughs> but it's funny. Like it is scary that, like you know, between fifteen and sixteen, those three summer months can last a lifetime. But when you're twenty-four, the next day you're thirty-four. Yeah. It's frightening, you know. Don't yeah. like it. We were warned. Good thing we didn't listen. We'd be fecked. <laughs> Dave Fanning, thanks a million uh, for the uh, the first ever off message podcast. Good man, Patrick. Thank, Thank you. you. Cheers. <laughs> And that's it for the first of Message podcast. 
A big thanks to Dave Fanning for being first to volunteer to put his head on my audio chopping block. I'll be back soon with episode two, but in the meantime, check out the blog over at patamahoney.ie forward slash off message. Till then, from all here at off message, i.e. just me, I'm Pat O'Mahony. Thank you for listening and talk soon.